Well, we survived snow tubing last night. We only lost one child and it was mine, so that's all right. We found him. James, what was that second song we sang today? No, nah, what was the first one? Uh, what was the third one? That's it. That's it. We used to sing that song at, at, at St. Dominic. And in my mind, it always sounded like a, like a Native American chant. Like, and then we are Christian. So now you all, every time you hear that song, you'll think of it that way if you didn't already. And then we got to see little Jack up here dancing like a wild man. So that was, uh, that was pure entertainment this morning. For me, anyways. I don't know about you all. but So this week, we are back in our nine marks of a healthy church with Mark 2. And that mark is biblical theology. If you have the book, it's chapter 2. Biblical theology. And last week we discussed expositional preaching. And the purpose of expositional preaching is to make the main point from the passage of Scripture the main point of the sermon. And we learned that this is important because God's Word brings life, remember? And our aim is to study the Word in a way that transforms our life. So this week, as we are discussing biblical theology, we must first think well, what is the Bible? Hopefully we all know what the Bible is, but we're going to dig a little deeper this morning. The word Bible stems from a Greek word that I cannot pronounce. I'm sure there's a Hebrew word too, but it translates into book. Bible means simply book. So I hope that's not too much of a surprise to you. But, but what is it? We often think of the Bible as a single book, but it's actually an anthology of shorter writings that were composed in different languages by different authors using different literary genres over many centuries on different continents. So here are a couple more ways to describe what the Bible is. The Bible is the inerrant Word of God, which means that it is without error. Trying not to wear the varnish off of the... Uh, I'm trying to remember all my KBC preaching notes, okay? So the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. The Bible is alive and brings life. The Bible is perfect. The Bible is true. The Bible gives us wisdom. The Bible can be trusted. The Bible reveals the truth. The Bible is holy. It is authoritative. The Bible is the believer's special weapon. The Bible is inspired by God. And the Bible helps us grow spiritually. These are a couple of things that the Bible is. And this, if this is what the Bible is, then what is biblical theology? Well, theology simply is the study of God. So biblical theology would be the study of God within the Bible. Biblical theology is knowing and understanding that the Bible is without error, true, perfect, gives us wisdom, can be trusted, it's holy, it's authoritative, and it's inspired by God. And if we believe these things to be true, we should be seeking to live our lives on biblical principles and biblical truth. And remember from last week, what was the, I didn't summarize this week in one sentence, which, how, how inconsistent of me, you know. But what, I already said it once today, what was the, what was the summary from last week? God's Word brings life. Okay. So if God's Word brings life, we must remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this. All scripture, is, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. 
God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Well, what is right? That's the question. What is right? If the Bible teaches us right and wrong, then there's right teaching and there's wrong teaching. And remember that the simple definition of biblical theology is the study of God in the Bible. Biblical theology is how we, humans, interpret the Bible and put it into practical action in our lives. So as we're reading, as we're praying, as we're meditating on Scripture, as you're listening to me preach the Bible, we are studying Scripture, which means we are studying God through the process. So biblical theology is our second mark of a healthy church. If the, biblical, if the definition of biblical theology is the study of God, I hope that it's very plain for us to understand why it's at the top of the, it's the second mark on the list. It's, it's, of, it's of extreme importance. Expository, expository preaching, which we learned about last week, puts a lot of pressure on me. Well, this biblical theology puts pressure on all of us. You all don't have to preach, I do, but we all must study uh, biblical theology. If we, if we call ourselves Christians, it's our responsibility to personally pursue the things of God through the study of His Word. So, I, I can preach and teach within the walls of this church, but I can't follow you home and crack the book open for you. I guess I could do that. I don't think you all would much enjoy that. I don't want to do that. So, on our own time, we should, we should open the book and, uh, and study it. So, the study of God, or this biblical theology, happens by listening to a preacher, by studying the Bible independently or in a group setting. It also comes by supplemental reading. There's many books. There's uh, systematic theology books. There's books like uh, this one, uh, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. There's, there's supplemental books that we can read. There's sermons we can listen to outside of this church. You just have to make sure you're, you're consuming wholesome teaching. And if you don't have any of that uh, knowledge or, in, or you don't know where to turn, I can point you to some, some resources if, you, if you're lost in that. So you cannot know the truth. You cannot know God's will for your life if you don't open the book and seek His knowledge and wisdom for yourself. It's just not possible. And we are called to be people that are devoted to studying the book. And when we study the book deeply, we start to notice some key themes. And these key themes are called doctrine. There are many different doctrine within Scripture. The doctrine of the Word of God. How is the Bible assembled? Are there errors in the Bible? The doctrine of God Himself. Who is He? Can we have a relationship with Him? The doctrine of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of man. Who is man? What is His purpose in life? The doctrine of salvation, how is a person saved? The doctrine of the church, who are the church? What is the purpose of the church? And the doctrine of the future, and this is just a short list. The doctrine of the future, this encompasses the return of Christ, the final judgment, and new heavens and new earth. And all of this doctrine comes from the Word of God, and all of this doctrine was conceived through the study of the Word of God or biblical theology. So, Remember last week I talked about I went to that practical preaching workshop and they gave me some advice and, must, and much of it was good. And they said that I was supposed to give illustrations. They didn't, they didn't tell me I had to, but they said, you should be giving some illustrations. But they said, don't make them too long. Well, if I'm not supposed to make them too long, then I probably shouldn't make them too short. So my illustrations need to be like baby bear soup. They need to be just right. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so here comes one. I'm going to give you one. 
Think about biblical theology as a school. So a school is a place of learning where it encompasses all of our learning. Really, much of our learning comes from the church, but that doesn't fit this illustration. School. Biblical theology, think of it as a school, and think of doctrine as classes within a school. Some classes are more important than others, uh, but we think about, and I shouldn't say that for teachers in the room, but math, science, English, social studies, art, PE. These are, these, I don't think they call it PE anymore. What do they call it now? Not, is it physical education anymore? I don't know. So these are classes within a school. So the school is biblical theology, classes are doctrine. So we have our doctrine, our baptism, salvation, man, the Trinity, heaven and hell. These are classes within the school. These are doctrine within biblical theology. So within doctrine, there are things that are absolute. There are things that cannot be rejected. And there are things that we should build an opinion on but will still will remain a mystery to us. So we have absolutes. Absolutes are at the top of the list. That's number one. Number two is we have things that we cannot reject. And number three is number three are things that we are are to have an opinion on, but aren't primary and sometimes aren't even secondary. So we're going to play a little game this morning. Not really, but I'm going to give you another illustration. Pretend that there's three buckets. One, two, and three. Now there are three buckets. That's one, that's two, and that's three. Okay? So, bucket number one. I didn't even take any money out of the collection. That's good. Bucket number one is represents first order doctrines or absolutes. Okay? So these are things all Christians should agree on in bucket number one, or first order doctrines. We must believe these first order doctrines to be saved. Bucket number two represents second order doctrines, or things that we cannot reject. And these, like I'm reading twice, we cannot reject these things, but they aren't necessarily essential for salvation. And bucket number three are things that, uh, they're third order doctrines, and they, and they represent things that some of us don't agree upon, but we can agree to disagree and carry on in the faith, okay? So, some doctrine is essential for salvation, and these, these will fall into bucket number one over here. God created the heavens and the earth. He made man in His image. Man immediately rebelled against God. Man is sinful. God sent Jesus to earth as man and God simultaneously to live a perfect life and die a violent death and resurrect into heaven to save you from your sin so that you could inherit eternal life. That is doctrine bucket number one. You cannot be saved and not believe that. We all must agree on that, okay? The church must agree on this. There is no wavering on this one. The doctrine of salvation is a bucket number one item. It is absolute. Jesus is essential to the Christian. The gospel message is essential to the Christian. A person is saved by knowing and believing in Jesus. But wait a second. There's a debate that's been going on within the church for hundreds of years that everybody gets stirred up about. And it all started in the 1600s. And some people are probably getting nervous that I'm bringing this up, but there's two guys and there's two sets of beliefs and their names are John Calvin and what's his other name? James Arminius. So Calvinism, Arminianism. Some people don't know what I'm talking about right now, and that's fine. Some people are getting real nervous. Wow, why is he doing this? 
this. Don't do this. People are going to leave the church if he talks about this. We're not leaving the church, okay? I refuse to let people leave the church over this. So one of these men say that God chooses us, and one of these men says that we choose God, okay? One man says that once we are saved, we are saved for life. And one man says that we can lose our, our salvation. And like I said, some of you probably have never heard about this. Uh, and that's probably for your benefit that you've never, you've never dove too deep into this because it'll make your head hurt if you really spend a lot of time pondering it. And those of you that do know, you're probably sweating maybe a little like, oh gosh, I know somebody that left the church because of this. Well, we're not leaving the church. Again, if you have problems with this, this is a bucket number three item. This is something that we can agree to disagree on. We can have our beliefs about it, but it doesn't necessarily affect the saving grace of Christ in our own life. We can, we can think about it. We can read about it. We can, we can devote a whole lot of time uh, to reading about it, but it shouldn't divide us, okay? So churches have split over this debate. Punches have been thrown. And if we dug deep enough, we would probably find that people have actually been killed over this debate, okay? So within the church, this, this debate that I'm talking about is a hot topic, and it gets more fiery than Democratic versus Republican, and we all know how fiery that gets. So again, I want to state this is, in my opinion, a bucket three item. In, in the life of some people, it could be a bucket two item, but we can still agree to disagree on some it's not a bucket two item. I'll stand hard on. I'll stand firm on that. It's a bucket three item because bucket two items are things we cannot reject. Okay. I think it's a bit unhealthy to view this debate as a bucket two item. So I'll I'll die on the hill that it's a bucket three item. Okay. That's where I'm at with it. So we should be able to agree to disagree. I do have my own thoughts on this debate, and I welcome conversation about this debate, but I, it will remain a bucket three item. We shouldn't divide over this third order doctrine or this bucket three item. People didn't agree on this one thing in the 1600s, and people still don't agree on this thing. So it's not of primary concern. Here is what is primary. When we follow Christ, we will get to meet him face to face one day. And I hope that we get to ask him the answers to these questions. I don't know that when we get to heaven, we will necessarily care to ask him some of these questions. But my earthly, my earthly self, my selfish self, I'd like to ask him and think, how come he didn't just make this clear to us? You know, I don't know if I don't know if we'll get to do that or not. But that's part of the mystery. That's part of the excitement to be excited about things to think about what am I going to get to ask him You know, when I get there? Am I going to get to ask this or that? But personally, I hope that I do get to ask him, and I also hope that I get to high-five John Calvin, and I get to high-five James Arminius. That's a hard name to say, okay? I don't think Brad could say it. He can't say Lake Junaluska. We've said it <laughs> for months. Lake Junaluska. Okay, so I hope that when I get to heaven, I get to say, how come this wasn't clear, you know? And hey, John Calvin, hey, other guy, what's up with that? You know, what, what are we doing? But it is interesting. To, it's, it's, I think it is healthy to read about these things. It is not at all healthy to leave the church. But there is a bit of gray area because that this one thing can drive, it can drive the, the whole structure of a church. And I'm not sure that that's healthy either. So we just got to be very, very careful 
One thing we don't, as believers, we don't want to be hateful about any of this. As we, as we debate these things, we need to hear people out, and we need to do it with patience. We sometimes forget that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So, what about an example of a bucket two doctrine? A bucket two doctrine is not absolute, but it cannot be rejected. And what the heck does that mean? It means this. Think about the Trinity. Now, you're going to need to exercise patience for just a second because you hear the Trinity and you think, well, I think that's probably a bucket one item. Just give me a moment. You would think, and you, and you can have the opinion that it's a bucket one item, and that wouldn't be a bad thing, I don't think. But I was reading this week and, and somebody made a point that the Trinity is a bucket two item because, this, because of this. Think about a child that comes to faith in Christ. Does a child have a full grasp on the triune nature of God? Probably not. But as a child grows in his faith and a child develops an interest in, in knowing and understanding God through his word, he cannot reject that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So at a certain point, he might not understand the triune nature of God at the moment of his salvation, but it's not necessarily absolute that he must know that. But enough time passes, he cannot reject that that is true. Okay, So bucket two items are important because we cannot reject them. And that's... Uh, we can reject the, these are there's gray area over here in bucket three. I'm getting tired of these buckets. I was actually going to get some five gallon buckets, but so let's see here. Same goes for a person at the end of their life. You know, do, do we think that the the thief on the cross had a had a clear understanding of the triune nature of God when he said, "Jesus, I believe that you are." God and I don't know everything. I don't. He. Didn't, I'm adding to his words, but he said he basically said, "I trust you. I believe that you say who you are, and I want to be with you." And Jesus says, "You will today. You will be with me in paradise." I don't think he, that poor fellow didn't have time to go to Sunday school and learn about the triune nature of God and all this stuff was unfolding right before his eyes. But it's 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 something that we cannot reject. Is the point I'm trying to make. So, but it's not an absolute. It's just something we can't reject. The predestination, the Calvinism, the Arminianism, that is, that is not an absolute thing that, that, that saves us. That is, that is an ongoing opinion and debate. So, the gospel message is an absolute. We must believe the message of the gospel to be saved. As we progress in our faith, we begin to understand the triune nature of God, the three-in-one nature of God. This doctrine cannot be rejected. And as we further progress in our faith, then we will... That's when we start to get dogmatic and start to have firm opinions on things that people haven't been able to figure out for hundreds and hundreds of years. And uh, that's we don't want that. We want to study... We want to build opinions for ourselves, but we don't want to kick other people out of the church or, or be impatient with people for things that are gray areas, okay? And some of us may, may not, I'm, I'm pointing to myself, some of us not may, may not see these areas of, as gray, and that's why we need each other to sharpen one another and to be patient with one another while we sift through these things. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this. I, I want to back up. This verse, I think the Holy Spirit, 
I know the Holy Spirit does a lot of... It, it clears things up for us. The Holy Spirit's what tells me we don't need to divide over opinions that, that we, can't, we can't really prove certain things of the faith. And, I, and I'm not even really talking about the, the predestination debate, I, but there's several things that go on uh, that we really won't know the answer to. And the Holy Spirit says, carry, you know, carry on with patience and love and with the life of uh, you know, a Presbyterian. We know Presbyterians, and I don't mean the denomination drop here, but we know some camps of Presbyterians believe in uh, infant baptism. But then the rest of their theology is basically the same as ours. And we see so much fruit in their life. And we see all of this thing. Does that mean that uh, I'm not going to listen to anything that Presbyterian says because his opinion about baptism is different than mine? We do have to draw a line somewhere. And I hate that I brought this up right now, uh, impromptu, without notes on my iPad. But uh, but there. It's, it's a gray area. Baptism doesn't save us. The gospel saves us. So that baptism, I didn't think too much about this before I speak, and that's dangerous, but unfor maybe it's, it's probably a bucket too. Well, I don't know. Can we reject it? Can we reject, reject it biblically? I believe that we must be, we should be, and willingly be submersed in water in believer's baptism. That's what I believe. But not everybody believes that. I, I know Presbyterians. Uh, Tim Keller was a Presbyterian, probably the most famous Presbyterian. I don't know his stance on baptism. I don't. But I know that that man was a faithful servant of the Lord. So these are just things, as we mature, we've got to think about these things, and we've got to sift through these things, and we've got to be patient and loving uh, as we do it. So Deuteronomy 29.29 says this, The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that He has revealed to us, so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. And I want to read that one more time. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that He has revealed to us, so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. So God has things that we don't get to know. Okay? God knows the time and the place that all things are going to happen. He's all-knowing. He also knows why all things are happening. So, He knows when it's going to rain. He knows when it's going to snow. He knows when it's going to be hot. He knows when it's going to be cold. How does He know? Because He is God and He is in control of all things. He knows who will be saved and who won't, in my opinion. I think it to be true. How does He know that when and how and where and who and why people are going to be saved because He is God and He knows all things. He's not surprised. He is all-knowing, okay? But God has secrets known. He knows things that we don't know. He doesn't reveal all of His mysteries to us. We see that in Deuteronomy 29.29. This verse goes on to tell us we are not accountable for these mysteries or secrets. We and our children are accountable forever for all that He has revealed to us, so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. So, there are things that He's revealed very plainly to us. Uh, Jesus came to this earth, and He lived a perfect life, and died a violent death on the cross. We know that to be true. Jesus then rose into heaven, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. 
We know that to be true. He sent this Holy Spirit to dwell among all who believe in this message, and this is a good message for today. Amen? He revealed to us that He is one God in three parts. He is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this cannot be rejected. It's a bucket two item. It cannot be rejected in the heart of a believer. It may not be fully understood during all seasons of the Christian life, but it cannot be rejected. You can't say, well, I believe, I believe, in, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, but I don't think He was three in one. I just don't. You cannot reject that. He revealed some other things to us that will like, we will likely question our entire lives, but hopefully in a healthy way. We should question these things without doubt of our loving God. We should question these mysteries of the faith with excitement and grace, knowing that they might remain mysteries to us potentially forever, but maybe until death. We might get these, these mysteries to us might be revealed to us in our death. And that's exciting. So we should, we should approach these mysteries not with, uh, not with a hard stance and a, and a harsh tone. We should approach these mysteries with excitement and faith. So if we've got a, a Calvinist and we've got a predestination guy and a not predestination guy, we, we should be able to have that conversation together lovingly and think, I don't know for sure. And neither do you. And let's get along and carry on with the absolutes and the things that we cannot reject and agree to disagree on this one. That's the point I'm trying to make today. Okay? So if you know God and have a saving relationship with Him, He is smiling down on you right now in this instant. And the Holy Spirit is thumping in your chest. And you have assurance that you are saved. And this is absolute. And this is absolutely the best feeling on earth. Amen? So let's be careful when we decide. Let me before I continue on. There is no there is no hateful debate going on about uh, uh, Calvinism, Arminianism in the church in this church right now. I just it was one that I could think of that's really the most uh, divisive within the church. So hopefully you all uh, learned by now. I'm not nervous to bring up things that are a little scary, uh, but. I like talking about it. I think it is fun to have healthy debate about it. But here's the point. Let's be careful when we decide to take a hard stand on things that are mysteries or secrets of the Lord. Let's take a hard stand on the things that are absolute or the things that we cannot reject. But we shouldn't take such a hard stand on the things that we don't necessarily know the answers to. So remember, biblical theology is like a school. It encompasses all learning. And doctrine is represented by classes within the school. Some doctrine is worth your life. Some doctrine is not. And if you're going to choose a hill to die on, you better make sure it's an absolute or something that you cannot reject. The church suffers when a bucket three item becomes a bucket number one item. Can we agree on that one? This sermon series is titled Marks of a Healthy Church for a Reason. The church needs to know what is absolute. The church needs to know what they cannot uh, reject, what we cannot reject in our beliefs. And the church needs to know the areas of our faith that can be left as an opinion because ultimately it's a mystery of God. We are not accountable for these secrets according to Deuteronomy 29, 29. We are accountable to the things that He's made clear to us. He tells us to follow Jesus. We better be following Jesus, okay? Jesus is our Savior and Lord. He came to this earth to save us. 
He came to this earth so that we would follow Him to victory. God knows right now in this moment whether you genuinely believe that or not. And if you don't believe that, pray right now that God would reveal this absolute truth to you. And if you do believe that, and you haven't made this known through believer's baptism, which I believe that you need to get dunked, and we'll fire that sucker up, as John Scott liked to laugh about so, so much. He was... I said, I must have said that at some point, and every time, every third time I saw him, he said, well, are we going to fire that sucker up anytime soon? And that's one of my favorite things to do is fire that sucker up. So uh, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you haven't made it known publicly by standing up here in front of us and have your heart racing because you're nervous to stand in front of people, it's okay. I'm nervous right now. I can tell right now today's going to be one of those days where I walk down through here and I stand right there and start sweating. I can already feel it coming. So... I get nervous too, but if you have not profet- if you have not stood, if, if you believe in Jesus and you have not followed through in baptism, it's really step number one. And it's, the, it's one of the grandest celebrations that we get to participate in within the church. It's fun. You might not view it that way while you're the one doing it, but I assure you that once you're baptized and you say, I'm following Jesus, I'm still going to do things wrong. I'm still not perfect. Once you're baptized and you get to see other people be baptized uh, and, and genuinely following Jesus, it's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting to me. I hope it's exciting to everybody. So if you believe and you haven't been baptized, uh, let's, let's get that scheduled. So I don't, Mark and Elizabeth are firing that sucker up now, right? And they, they said at one point they might put rubber duckies in there just to throw me off. So I'm just waiting for that day to happen. Uh, so. If you haven't made it known to this world that you're following Jesus uh, through believer's baptism, let's get that scheduled. And I don't think she's here, but my good friend that you all know, Paula Vasky, says this sometimes. She says, I'm going to nerd out for a minute. And then she goes on to say some really nerdy theological thing. So I'm going to nerd out for a minute. And I want to close, and I am going to close within the next 45 seconds, just like the Kentucky Baptist said I should. I want to close with a bit of church history this morning. I'm studying church history. I'm taking a, I'm, I've started a new seminary class. Uh, so if you can't find me, that's what I'm doing. But let me set the stage for you. The year is at 155 A.D. And a bishop named Polycarp is being, rep, is being threatened by the Roman Empire to deny Jesus as Lord. Our brother Polycarp saw the gospel as an absolute a bucket number one. He saw the gospel as an absolute truth, and he was willing to die for his faith. The Roman Empire told him to save himself by denying that Jesus was God. Polycarp responded boldly with this, and Polycarp was 86 years old. He said, For 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? So with death knocking on Polycarp's door, he stood firm in the faith and he was killed shortly after for his bold faith. An absolute truth. He was not willing to deny Jesus because he's built his life on this faith. He was willing to say, I don't, I don't necessarily care what you think. This is an absolute truth in my life. I have, for 86 years I've served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my Savior and my God? I pray that we have a trickle of this faith this morning and boldness as we leave this church and as we go to work tomorrow and we run into lost people everywhere we turn. If if an 86-year-old man is willing to die 
for what he believes, we should be willing to open our mouths and tell people the best news that we've ever known. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for you. I am grateful for your word. I am grateful for patience and understanding. I'm grateful for the mysteries of the faith that you've given us so that we can have healthy, hopefully uh, uplifting debate about things of the faith. And I more importantly pray that we understand that there are absolute truths that we must build our faith on. And there's things that we cannot reject and I just pray that if anybody here doesn't know you, that uh, they come to Saving Faith today. And I pray that if there are people here that have known you for a long time but haven't followed through obediently in believer's baptism, that we could uh, get that accomplished, get that scheduled, and fire that sucker up. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.